You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We are week two in our parable study, and uh, Logan created this uh, graphic a year ago. And in a part, I think it's a picture of what happens in Sermon Club. We're, we're is, and I don't know, it's usually three of us in there, but but we're we're just kind of going, you know, like wrestling together and just kind of locking locking horns. And, and wrestling over God's word. And I, I love that. That is one of my favorite things to do. This, it's a highlight of my week. And, uh, and I think that's uh, in, in its various forms, we, we are called to wrestle over God's word, whether it's in a Bible study or whether it's personal study or uh, a life transforming group, care group, uh, sermon club, wrestle over God's word. It uh, it's good. Plus, uh, Logan and I were kind of bullheaded, and uh, and so there's there's that as well. Uh, in your bulletin, you have uh, <clears throat> some information on this Parties tool that we we talked about this more last week than we'll even talk about this week. But it, you, know, you should take a look at your bulletin. But um, it's a tool that that Jesus is going to employ. And when we read parables, it's in particular when you see. The authors say, and he spoke in parables. Know that Jesus is going to have have something to say that's going to be right on the surface. You're going to be able to you're going to be able to see it, and you go, oh, that's what he's trying to say here, and and that is good. That is good for us to understand. In fact, that is foundational because anything else that Jesus is doing with that parable uh, ha- depends on that. Peshat level, that surface level teaching. Okay. But he's also going to leave hints. This is a very Jewish thing to do. Uh, the Jews, um, the Hebrews, the, the Eastern thinkers, they would rather you go explore for yourself what the meaning is. As you go and wrestle and not necessarily individually, but corporally as you, as you go and wrestle like we do in care group, that's where the learning really happens. And so he's going to leave hints. And when you figure out what those hints are, how they connect to the Old Testament, then you're to go to drosh, you go to, go to inquire or to seek. Well, what does that Old Testament story or stories have to do with this parable that Jesus is teaching? And then there's sowed, which is secret or mystery. And this is where the Holy Spirit speaks to you directly as you're engaging with God's word. So uh, that's part A's. If you have questions on that, you could always ask Logan or myself or anybody else who's been long in the tooth at Mission Ridge. This week, we're going to jump into Mark chapter three. We are going through all 10 parables that Mark presents in order. So we're going to present them all in order. And, uh, and then we're going to come back in a few weeks 
and the second half of this series, we're going to look at the larger narrative of Mark and, and see what Mark is trying to communicate to us in his gospel. But in Mark chapter three, we see these words, uh, the scribes, these are religious leaders. These are, these are men that wrote down the scriptures. They had the responsibility to uh, take a Torah document and, and, and make copies of it. And that, that was, there was a very formalized process for that. Uh, if it had, uh, like the, the level of errors had to be minute, minute. They were very particular. These guys really knew the word. Religious leaders came down from Jerusalem and were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. So, so Jesus is casting out demons. He's, he's bringing healing. He's, he's, he's performing miracles just within the first few chapters of Mark. And, and the religious leaders are coming down from, from Jerusalem. And, and they always talked about going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a hill. Whether you're heading north or south or east or west, it really didn't matter. They always considered going it going up to Jerusalem, where we, we talk about heading north. Where we're going up to Kalispell, um, but there's also this sense that that was the religious epicenter. That's where the religious power lived, and so they were coming down. They were condescending, right? They were condescending to Jesus. He casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. This is a serious accusation. You have no religious authority within our system, Jesus. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. Okay. So he's Mark's jumping up and down. It's a parable boys and girls. <laughs> How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Uh, we watch this in football or in our sports all the time. You start seeing the, turn, the team turn on itself. It's always ugly. <laughs> always gets worse. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first blind, blind uh, boof, easy for me to say, he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. That's the parable. So again, Jesus is accused by religious leaders. And I think because they felt threatened. They felt threatened. I mean, Jesus is, is starting to draw a crowd. We're told earlier, I think it's in chapter three, maybe chapter two, that there was such a large crowd that, that Jesus had to uh, ready himself. He's like, prepare a boat for me. I'm going to teach from the boat. He's drawing a crowd. He's drawing people away from the religious epicenter to himself. And they felt threatened. He is eroding our power base. But again, remember that parables are to tell us how we are to live for the kingdom. So not only is Jesus addressing the people accusing him, but he's, he's, he's multitasking. He's, he's 
teaching his own people how they are to live for this kingdom that he's establishing right here, right now on earth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we got, so we got to pay attention to both what he's saying to the religious leaders, but what he's saying to us as part of his kingdom, as his disciples. And the Peshat level teaching for us is this, our homes, our church, and our community will only thrive if we are all pursuing unity. Our homes. Am I, am I right? How many households thrive when, when just one person is not pursuing unity? Every household where one, one of the people is not pursuing unity suffers. Our church, it takes all of us working, striving for unity to allow us to thrive in our community. I mean, you, you look at the nationals, you know, what's happening on at the national level, the last man, umpteen years. I, you got these two, you know, we got our, our people are strongly divided. You could go to Facebook, you could go to Twitter and, and you could see the narrative and you could see relationships that lasted for decades thrown away over one post. Over one post. Jesus says it will only thrive if you're pursuing unity. He says, otherwise it won't stand. Uh, it's interesting from the, let's just think about this from the church level. It took a thousand years before there was a major schism within the church called the East versus West schism. It took another 500 years before there was another break and that was the Protestant Reformation. Today, there are 35,000 Protestant denominations. Whew. We like the, it's almost like the half-life, right? You got 1,000 years, all right, 500 years, and now it takes just a few minutes just takes a few minutes for, for, for churches to break up and, and someone to start something new. Now, I'm not even saying that, that some of those reasons for some of those breakups and, and those, you know, like the split, like, like there's some real things there, but, but, um, but still, as a church, I, I don't know if you guys know this, we're non-denominational. <laughs> um. And that doesn't mean that we think we're better than the denominational churches. We're just, we're locally governed. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I'm always looking to build bridges with the other churches in this town. And, and there are a lot of churches in this town that are doing the same thing. And I think we need to continue to look for ways, like it doesn't bother me necessarily that we're meeting in different buildings because you cannot fill up all the churches that we have with all the people in this town that need to know Christ. 
So, you know, I'm going to celebrate my brothers that, that are, and sisters that are serving in other churches and other buildings. But we should be building bridges and not barriers between us. We should fight for unity, not find the things that separate us and focus on, on, on those things. Uh, we have an event coming up in May where there's dozens of churches coming together to serve the whole community. We, we initially were going to call it uh, Serve Missoula, but then we had churches from Arleigh come to us. And then we had churches from the Bitterroot come to us and like, hey, we want, we want to join you guys too. And we could have said, well, I'm sorry, but this is Serve Missoula and you guys are just out. Sorry. No, we just said, we changed the name. All right. Name change. We're going to serve Montana. And if people get served in Idaho, then I don't know what we're going to change the name to, but we'll change it. Because we're going to build bridges. And when we, we're, we're hoping to have five to 700, maybe a thousand volunteers, 50 to a hundred projects. And we're going to let people serve on the projects that they feel most compelled to serve on. And if that means that it's with two, three, four, five other churches that you're serving, fantastic. We built some bridges and we're going to honor God in the process. The restoration movement is, is, is something that our church is a part of. And they have this saying in essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. There are some essential teachings that we need to hang on to. There are some essential teachings. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is the son of God. He has ascended into heaven. He will return again. Those are essential teachings. There's more. And we need to be unified in that. And I'm not willing to, to talk differently about those things in order to appease somebody. But there's other things that are simply my opinion. And I think there's some liberty in that. Uh, a couple years ago, I, it was a hot summer day. And uh, I was wearing shorts and, and a button-up shirt and flip-flops. And I went and saw, uh, the, uh, they were our accountant at the time, and went and saw this gal, and, and she goes to a different church. Um, probably, probably denominational, I'm guessing. Um, and if I remember correctly, denominational, and neither here nor there. But uh, I said, I'm so glad it's... it's it's uh, time for wearing shorts and flip-flops again. And she goes, she goes, yeah, but not in church. <laughs> and I just let that go. <laughs> I'm like, liberty. <laughs> we are fairly relaxed around here. You don't have to wear sleeves. Uh, you could wear half frontwards or backwards. If you're Logan daily, you'll probably change it throughout the day. Who knows? Part of the service, you'll see it one way. The rest of the service, you'll see it the other way. Uh, we are fairly relaxed around here. 
We want people to come to Jesus and not necessarily come to agree with our opinions. In all things love. So that's our Peshat. That's our service level teaching our homes, our church, and our community. We only thrive if we are all pursuing unity. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples and we are his disciples. But he leaves some hints. He, he leaves some hints in a story that connect you to the Old Testament. And the first one I want to talk about is the house divided. He says a kingdom divided and a house divided. He, he says it a couple of different ways just to make sure that you know he's talking about the, actually the same thing. And so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 12. Maybe you could think of a kingdom that divided for nearly a thousand years. Uh, just before 1 Kings 12, Solomon dies. Uh, his, his enemy Jeroboam is in Egypt and his son Rehoboam is made king. And we're told this, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him and Jeroboam and all the seventy of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam saying, your father made our yoke hard. What the rabbis will tell you is that when we're told that Solomon collected 666 shekels a year, that that was, he was, they weren't talking about the amount, but how he collected it, that the way he was taxing his people was evil. The way Solomon was taxing his people was evil. And so they said, your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, depart for three days, then return to me. So they departed. Oh, by the way, when Jesus says, follow me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you may want to come back to this section to see what he's talking about. He may be hinting at this. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer the people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to this people and will serve them and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. How are we to lead people within God's kingdom as servants? Jesus always calls us a servant leadership. These men were wise. Maybe they're reading Proverbs. Maybe they're reading the words of their king before them. Plenty to be said there but I think his son missed those lessons on those days because we're told that he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they gave him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. Oh, that's smart. It's like, okay, boomers. Hey, millennials, what do you think? 
that too close? <laughs> so he said to him, what counsel do you give me that may answer this people who have spoken to me? Saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. The young men grew up with him and spoke to him saying, thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you saying, your father made your yoke heavy. Now make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Oh, oh, uh, pride much, boast much, wrong much. Whereas my father loads you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I will discipline you with scorpions. Uh, this, if you were not clear, is not a humble response. <laughs> this is not a humble response. And so he goes with that. He goes with that. And when all Israel saw the king did not listen to him, the people answered the king saying, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance with the son of Jesse to your tents, Israel. Now look after your own house, David. Look after your own house. So Israel departed to their tents. Do you know that Israel was never, ever able to stand against their enemies again for the next thousand plus years, really until modern times? They were never able to stand. They were never able to stand. House divided will fall. Here's, here's the drosh. Here's the drosh. Unity thrives off of humility. It thrives off of humility. How well you keep your pride in check will determine your ability to foster a healthy home, church, and community. As much as it depends on you. How well you keep your pride in check Um, Andy Stanley, I was listening to uh, a teaching that he did a number of years ago, but I was listening to it a couple weeks back. And he says this, clarity trumps integrity. Historically, we will follow a teacher uh, who has clarity, who could clearly articulate uh, what the vision, um, ask not what your country will do for you, but what you'll do for your country, that was, that was clearly articulated and, and, and the country got behind that, right? Um, clarity trumps integrity. He's not saying that we shouldn't have integrity, but, but if you have integrity, you, you better get some clarity too if you want to lead people. It was, was his point. But I'll tell you what, personally, I refuse to follow a leader who lacks humility. I think about this in terms of sports. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, there was a game between Seattle and Arizona, and I don't remember who the the coach was for Arizona. I'm not here to to drag his name through the mud, but 
both teams had uh, their kicker miss a field goal. And it changed the outcome of the game. And I honestly don't remember who won, but both coaches in their post game talked about their kicker. Um, the coach for Seattle said, you know what? That wasn't the only uh, thing that we missed as a team. Like we lost, we, we, we were winning or losing as a team. That wasn't the only moment. The other coach... Effing this, effing that, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I know who I would want to follow if I had an opportunity, if I had a choice, I know who I'd want to be a leader in my life, the man with humility. See, I see I, the coaches, the, you know, and there's uh, the coaches that, that it's all about their ego and it's all about their pride. It's all about them. Well, if they would have just listened, you know, my team just wouldn't listen to me. Um, hard to get behind a guy like that. Uh, Coach Leach, uh, I know he just passed away recently. Uh, I think he was a brilliant man. I also think he lacked humility. And, and at times he, he, he did a phenomenal job at leading. Uh, at other times it was, it was a train wreck. We've all been there. We've all been under that leader or that person that tried to lead and they lacked humility. My friends, to the degree that you and I lack humility and, and, and we all struggle with humility. We all struggle with it in various ways, various forms on a continuum. We all struggle with humility. If you foster pride and therefore unhealthy relationships at home. But you think that you're a leader at the, within the church or within the community, it's going to catch up to you. If you think, if you foster pride driving down reserve, Rob, <laughs> where, wherever you foster pride, it's going to impact your home, your church, and your community to the degree that you foster pride, it will harm your most important relationships. So that's our first remez. Uh, there's a second remez. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? What's this about a strong man? If you tie him up, you know, you could enter into his house. No one can enter a strongman's house unless he first binds the strongman, Jesus says. Maybe you can remember a story in the Old Testament where a strong man, the strongest of men, was tied up. Now, Samson was known for his great strength. There's only three chapters in all of scriptures on, on him. Uh, but... The rabbis will tell you that he was controlled by his eyes, by his desires. In chapter 14, he says, I saw a woman, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get her from me as a wife. 
Did that sound like Arnold? I was going, I was trying for Arnold a little bit. Um, (laughs) Neanderthal. I was going, well, that's okay too. You know, big steroid man. I don't know. Um, Like he tells his dad, dad, I saw something pretty. Go get it for me. In the beginning, that was in 14, in the beginning of 16, Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot. Story's probably going to go bad after that. Might be, might be hinting at something. It wasn't just his sexual desires that were out of control. His brutal anger, his retribution was out of control. He kills 30 in chapter 14, 1,000 in chapter 15, and 3,000 in chapter 16. He was controlled by his desires for sex, for love, for retribution. His, His desires were stronger than his strength his physical strength. And then we see these words in uh, Judges 16. After this came about that he loved a woman after, after the harlot uh, in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, again, he keeps chasing women that the Lord has said, don't chase. Uh, the Lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. And see where his great strength lies and, and how, we will, how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Uh, you can also connect probably James' conversation about God does not, uh, he does not tempt us, but each one is carried away um, when, when he is enticed by his own desires. Uh, probably connection here. Then we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And so, so Delilah is trying to tempt Samson and revealing what his special power is. What's the source of your power? So he says, well, let's start, you know, take seven fresh cords. I won't be able to break through that. Um, but then he breaks through that and he kills a bunch of Philistines. And Delilah says, wait a minute, I thought you loved me. And so he goes, okay, 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 I do. I love you. Uh, new ropes. That's what you need. You need new ropes. So she ties him up with, with new ropes. And we're not keeping up back there. There we go. Um, and he snapped the ropes. And he kills a bunch of Philistines in the process and now Delilah is really undone. I really thought you loved me. Does she love him? No, she loves $1,100, 1100 shekels of gold or silver or whatever it is. Um, he says, all right, take seven locks of my hair, fasten it with a pin. But then he pulled the pin and killed some more Philistines. Great story. Great story. In verse 15, then he, she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me. You have deceived me these three times and have not told me 
where your great strength is. Then it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. <laughs> I love that line. Oh man, that's beautiful. So he told her all that was in his heart. I see husbands and wives knocking on each other right now. This, I'm not going there. <laughs> And he said to her, a razor has never come on my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Uh, Here's the thing. So Nazarite is someone who separates themselves for service to the Lord. And they, and they, they go through very specific uh, ritual and, and they don't, they don't cut their hair. They don't drink certain drinks, uh, they don't drink anything fermented. Um, and they do this all so that they can bring honor to God in their service. Problem is his parents set him aside for that. And he's not living up to that. His desires is getting in the way of, of his connection with his God. I, you know, it's, it's, it's not a lot different when, when pastors, um, set themselves apart for service and then there's infidelity. I I was thinking about this. It used to be a big deal in America when, when a leader of some sort has some kind of infidelity. I remember growing up as a kid, like you heard about that and, and people, they really had to repent. Uh, whether it was a congressman or a president or, and we've gotten so far away from that. He says, if I'm shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. And so this leads to the downfall of Samson. This leads to the downfall of Again, he had this great physical strength, but no spiritual fortitude. He was driven by his desires, driven by his, by his desires. And the drash is this, I think. Unity thrives off self-control. Jesus connects his parable to this Old Testament story to say that unity thrives off self-control. If you're ruled by your desires, your relationships will suffer. If you're controlled by your desires or to the degree that you're controlled by your desires, because I think this is a human problem. Pride and desires that are out of control. Both of these things are, it's very human thing. We all struggle with this. Some days it's, it's not a problem. Other days it's a huge problem. We see this in the scriptures, Adam and Eve, they desired, they saw the fruit of the tree and they saw that it was desirable. Cain and Abel. The Lord says to Cain, your desires are seeking to master you. Uh, we see this with addiction and this isn't the whole problem with addiction. This is just part of the problem. 
but addiction is about a user being controlled by their desires. It's more complicated than that, but that's in part true. We see churches that divide over the simplest of things like the color of carpets. My desires trump your, our relationship. People are saying, and then desires and have the breakdown of marriages. Um, is rampant. There are two key ingredients for unity. And that is humility and self-control. If you see disunity within your home, where is their lack of humility? Where is their lack of self-control? If you see disunity within your work environment, if you see disunity within our church, where is one of these showing up? Where is humility lacking or self-control? I want to bring this back to the story because, because that matters too. The scribes are saying you cast out demons by Satan. They had their own pride. They loved their authority in that ancient world. Religious leadership meant power and, and nothing threatened your power more than, than someone else coming along going, eh, I got questions about what you're doing. And Jesus was threatening their, their power, their authority. We know that they, that uh, religious leadership was ruled by their desires. The opulence of what, so recently within the last 20 years, they, they uh, excavated the, the site of, of the um, chief priests from the time of Christ. I don't remember how many baths that they had. It was like 20 baths in the house. The opulence was off the charts. Easily a millionaire in comparison. Uh, I think if you're a religious leader and you're, and you're a millionaire, I struggle with that. I, 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 think, uh, I think that, you know, people in service of God should, should make a, a wage just like everybody else. But if you're a millionaire and you say that you're serving the poor, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. And the problem is that their pride and their desires distorted their view of Jesus to the point that they're equating him to Satan. That's problematic. And I know that we all struggle with our desires and our pride. Like that's, again, it's just, it's a human experience. 
run into it all the time. I, I prayed about a moment of pride this week, this morning, during our confession time. But I think we could also say this, your pride and uncontrolled desires will impede your ability to experience Jesus. To the degree that you, don't try to apply this to anybody else in the room, to the degree that you struggle with pride. I got this all figured out. I know all that, all that there is to, to, be, to be known. I don't want to depend on other people. I don't need someone else to tell me what to do. I got 52 years experience. Sit down and shut up and color, kid. <laughs> I said that last night, uh, close to, uh, we all struggle with pride. And to the degree that you have uncontrolled desires, well, that's what it could be a desire of a good thing. Like I, I, I desire food. And I keep going. It's going to get in the way. Our desire for recognition, our desire for for uh, prosperity, our desire for whatever. Wherever you have pride and uncontrolled desires, that will get in the way of you experiencing Jesus for who he really is. It'll become a hindrance. And it could be in the moment or it could be your legacy. Are you willing to face that? Are you willing to face that? Because the scribes, they were not. They were going to hang on to their pride and they're going to hang on to their desires for control, for fame, for fortune. See, chief priests and a pastor should never be a millionaire. Not a problem for this guy. <laughs> and so as we uh, take part in communion today, I ask you this question. What's impeding your experience with Jesus this week? What's impeding your experience with him? I'll let you wrestle with that thought. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.